I don't understand the mad dash to stock up on toilet paper. Like people are shitting their brains out right now. They're just like so stressed. It's uh, constantly wiping. I'm so confused. I need 35 rolls of toilet paper just to get through today. Launching in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to The Blonde Blueprint. I'm Hannah Stevens. And I'm Taylor Perko. And we are coming at you live again from our house studios in Seattle, Washington. And I'm in Houston. Is it really live if this is like a week later? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, you're right. Okay. Okay. No, I like it. Let's leave it. Okay. (laughs) Continuing. (laughs) I gotta redo it. I can't. Okay. Welcome to The Blonde Blueprint. I'm Hannah Stevens. And I'm Taylor Perko. Coming at you not live. <laughs> this is not live. We are recording this in advance. This but is we are still in our virtual studios. This I'm in Seattle, Washington. True. And I'm in Houston, Texas. Today we're going to be talking about electrical engineering, continuing our rotation through all the engineering disciplines. Uh, we chose this one because like the first two that we did, Aero and mechanical are very closely related. Computer science, computer engineering, and electrical engineering are very closely related. So we decided to talk about them next to each other. Yeah, we like to talk about adjacent things so that we have even less things to talk about the next episode. (laughs) We really like to challenge ourselves. This is true. It was difficult researching for this episode. (laughs) But yeah, I... Man, this week has been kind of long for me personally. Uh, A couple weeks back, we did an episode on work-life balance, and I've been doing so much stuff over the weekends that this past weekend, I was like, you know what? I'm going to relax. It's going to be nice. So I did absolutely nothing. During our work-life balance episode, we talked about how you get stressed sometimes from doing nothing, and that totally happened to me on Sunday. I had a like panic attack. I was like, oh my God. How did I do nothing this weekend? I like watched two episodes or two seasons of a Netflix show. (laughs) (laughs) Two episodes, two seasons. What's the diff? Same (laughs) difference. Took a bunch of naps. Didn't do anything productive. So, man, yeah, I'm still learning how to chill the crap down and relax a bit. Yeah. But, yeah, got a bit better when, um, I don't know, the week started. I uh, had a couple of cool events going on this week. Got to go see the Neutral Buoyancy Lab. That's like the big pool where the astronauts train for their spacewalks. So it's like 40 feet deep and it's this gigantic pool. It's like basically like a football field, but it's a pool and super deep. And um, it has a full mock-up of the outside of the ISS. Well, half of a mock-up of the outside of the ISS and we even got to see like the suit lab which there was a uh, an astronaut trying on his suit and getting like a suit fitting done for his pool practice spacesuit. and um it was interesting because they they definitely went through like the more unglamorous parts of being an astronaut like they were explaining how you have to get into the spacesuit, and you basically have to like half dislocate your elbow to get in there and you have to wear a diaper the whole time because they can't like pull you out of the pool. You have to stay there for the whole six hours. So that was oh god, um, I couldn't even imagine wearing a diaper again. No, I don't. Yeah, like, not that yeah. I remember wearing it in the first place, <laughs> but just like yeah, I don't know. It all comes full circle. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be able to use it. You know, like I feel like they're 
dude, that's a UTI waiting to happen right there. Oh my yeah, gosh. Tell me about it. God. Yeah. So that was definitely interesting. I have a fun fact about yeah. the spacesuits. Did you know that when NASA was like first ramping up the Apollo missions, they basically had contracts out for companies to design these spacesuits. And guess what company won? Boeing? Playtex. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. The tampon and, company. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, we're getting down to it today. Diapers, tampons, first five <laughs> minutes of the show. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, NASA sent out a bid to a bunch of contractors to say, like, we need to make this spacesuit. And then all of the contractors or the ones trying to win the bid uh, would send in, like, their ideas. And then NASA would choose, depending on the rules, like, which one's the best versus, like, cost and effectiveness of what the product was that they were offering. Mm -hmm. um, so out of all the companies, Playtex as in the women's undergarment company, the one that like makes bras and tampons, Hell the yeah. defense contractors for the contract to make these iconic Apollo spacesuits. But there's a little bit of a backstory about this too. So the spacesuits, they had to be able to like be inflated and pressurized because they had to basically simulate Earth's atmosphere inside a suit. Mm -hmm. But they also had to be mobile. So like the astronauts had to be able to move around. It couldn't just be like an iron tank. But they yeah. still had to be tough because they had to withstand extreme temperatures, like extremely cold and extremely hot. So mm. there were a lot of challenges when it came to making these suits. So the company that managed to figure all this out was Playtex, which is like they had this bra back then called the cross your heart bra. So like they had knowledge of how to make a garment that was supportive, but also mobile. So these women Whoa. back in the day could get shit done. And so Playtex beat out these big defense contractors in like Hamilton Standard, um, BF Goodrich, Litton Industries, all these defense contractors of the time. And then so NASA is like a very male-dominated organization at this point, but mm. they picked the female undergarment company to make one of its like most visible and critical pieces of spaceflight technology, you know? So at one point, Playtex won the contract to make the suits, but they were made a subcontractor to Hamilton Standard because Hamilton Standard was like the defense contractor. I, I guess they didn't want like Playtex to be the one that did it. So mm. Playtex was a subcontractor to this defense contractor. And then Hamilton Standard fired Playtex because they wanted the contract all to themselves. Oh. So after Playtex got fired, NASA staged a competition to see who could make the best suit. And Playtex wasn't invited in like this face off. So what the, the Playtex officials like sent people to Houston and they were like, you have to let us be a part of this competition and we'll pay for like whatever it costs for the materials for our prototype. But we want to be tested with these other companies. Mm -hmm. And so they had six weeks to develop and like sew its own suit. And they have this like crazy layered design that would provide the flexibility and mobility that the, the astronauts needed. And so like they basically had this battle where they're like, you have to let us into the competition. And they did. And they ended up winning because it was judged by far and away like the best out of all the contracts. 
Yeah. I just thought that was a cool story about the suits. No, like, no, I feel like that that's like a very so little cool. known fact about the suits. <laughs> yeah. No, I had no idea about that. And I was like, you know, working with space suits <laughs> at this NBL thing. I mean, and working with really just means, you know, watching other people do stuff with them. But it's interesting. Like, your suit could be a tampon, sir. How does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> How does it feel? Really goes with nicely with that diaper, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, I feel like a lot of people don't know how intricate those suits are, but also they're kind of, I don't know. It's weird because when you know how something works, you're like, oh my God, we're, everything is held together by the thinnest of fibers. Oh, I, like, yeah, same with like I airplanes know. and stuff. You're like, oh my no. God, this thing is just a bunch <laughs> of sheet metal. How are we alive right now? Yeah. Yes. I feel like when you know the details and how, not that things aren't tested properly, but just like. Yeah. You, you know how quickly it could all yes disassemble. yeah exactly yeah. rapid disassembly yeah it's it's crazy the spacesuits they're first of all you have on like a secondary suit under your first suit and that secondary uh-huh. suit has just tons and tons of lines of water tubing running through it and that's oh, how really? they keep you cold or warm oh. is they either run hot water or cold water through those tubes but that's like an issue that you know they've had before where Leaking. like yeah someone's thing got leaked someone was like half like drowning in their suit one time like there's a netflix documentary on it so it's kind of i don't know it's a big shit i would watch that yeah i wish i remember what it was called but it's somewhere on netflix but yeah so you have that suit on and then you're in this like suit of like this tough material so that you know it can't break and depressurize but they have like basically the way that the top connects to the bottom of the suit is by like this big like metallic like metal waistband yeah yeah this big metal waistband so that's already like you know not great for moving but the material has to be tough enough that it can't you know penetrate so a lot of astronauts get really bad issues with their hands because the suit is pressurized so closing your fist there's like so much resistance to it and they have to use their hands so much so fitting astronauts for their spacesuits they spend four hours scanning your hand like one two three four hours doing this so that the suit's hands are perfect because if like the fingers are a little bit too short or your finger crotches are like cutting into you like astronauts lose fingernails pretty often really yeah so who's that astronaut that has a twin brother is it chris oh, ferguson uh, scott kelly scott kelly okay i saw an article about him where basically the iss it's basically very low gravity so you're always floating around and to stay in a place and get something done they have these like toe bars basically so you can like, yeah, slide you your, toes your toes underneath toes under and, yeah. yeah yeah so you like anchor yourself down in one place so you're basically like flexing your toes and holding yourself there and they said mm-hmm. when scott kelly came back like that was a huge difference his toes had actually like changed from his twin brothers because he was flexing basically the opposite muscles so like the strength of his toes was upwards force versus like downwards force because of the very low gravity in space dropping space knowledge crazy do you think his like first step he just like rolled forward because his toes are so used to being like pointed upwards oh god that would be cramps holy shit cramps so many cramps yeah insane yeah and then Today, actually, I had a really cool activity. Um, It was like a communication challenge. So um, when you work in mission control, you have these headsets and there's like a very strict protocol to how you use the headsets. And basically you have this like device thing and it pulls up like 
uh, I think it's 12 different communication loops and you're like listening to all of them and you have like talk, listen on a couple of them. So you're basically like listening to all these voices all the time and then trying to figure out when you need to talk and what, who you need to talk to. So we had a really cool um, activity today where the interns who were in some of these branches got to try that out. So we went into a smaller flight control room. It was blue Ficker. Um, and we did all these different challenges where we were communicating over the loop, but it was super cool because they have like such a protocol to it. And it was cool to like get to use that. Like you're using like the native phonetic alphabet and you're doing all of this like flight Spartan on ISS ADF loop four. You're like seeing all these things and doing all this cool stuff. And it was, I don't know, it was really cool to like be a part of it. And what we were trying to do kind of was piece together these different parts of a puzzle so it was kind of meant to be like a challenge of like how you communicate to people strictly through like voice and what was important to remember and communicate and like I don't know like the hierarchy of information and it was super cool yeah it was close it's like hopefully the future of what I will be doing one day it was cool. What you were describing just reminded me of this thing that I did in third grade. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was like really a, an assignment. It was just more of an activity that we had to do where you had to describe and communicate the steps to make a PB&J. You had to write yeah. out the instructions of how to do it. And your teacher would follow it word for word and you got whatever the outcome was. So if you communicated correctly how to make a PB&J, you would get a PB&J. But like if you forgot to say take off the lid to the peanut butter jar like you wouldn't get any peanut butter on your sandwich because you can't say scoop out peanut butter without taking off the lid you know yeah I just remember that class fucked me up as a kid like that activity (laughs) because I forgot to say remove the lid and it just reminds me of the Spongebob episode where they're just like the lid no the lid the lid the lid the lid (laughs) it was scar pickle jar oh gosh That is real life. No, what we were doing today was really similar to that. Um, it was a couple of things where you were trying to like complete a picture. Like we all had different pieces of this picture. But then one of them was supposed to be like, if you're communicating to the astronauts, it's like when you're explaining how to do things, like giving them instructions. And basically like your teammate who was the astronaut had like a bunch of Legos and you were just trying to describe to them <laughs> Yeah, how to build this thing. Very, very like uh, high school type of stuff, but it was fine. Not even (laughs) high school. Real astronauts or like fake astronauts? Fake astronauts. Okay. (laughs) It's like, well, goddamn. Like, could you imagine Neil Armstrong building a Lego set? (laughs) He's like, these goddamn interns. (laughs) But it was really similar to that where you were like, you need the gray thin four by four brick. You're going to place the black two by four brick in the right hand back corner like you're trying to describe all this stuff and then you have to like wait for confirmation and they'll be like copy next step like okay yes roger that continuing (laughs) but it was interesting we built a whole uh fire truck with a fireman in 15 minutes it was pretty um pretty impressive if i do say so myself so when you guys are communicating or doing these drills and stuff does anyone ever say houston we have a problem And, and i have a backstory for this because i know like top gun I don't know if it was actually called Top Gun, but like it's a real like training facility that existed in Miramar, California. Mm -hmm. And now they have a thing where people who like go through that training 
if they reference Top Gun, it's basically like a swear jar where they like have to pay money or they have some sort of punishment for referencing the movie. So like, I wonder if you guys ever get like reprimanded for quoting Houston, we have a problem. Man, well, it's kind of interesting because like I was telling you about the protocols, the only time that you would say Houston is if you were an astronaut in space. So like Mm. the first thing that you say when you're commenting on these loops is you comment who you're talking to. So the first word you say is which console you're talking to. So if I'm on the console, I'm on now, I'm on Topo. But let's say I was trying to talk to uh, like the power team. So I'm trying to talk to Spartan. So I would say Spartan, Topo. And then so that's telling you who it's from. And then the next thing you say is what loop you're communicating on so that they're not just talking on random things and they know where to look for you on their mm. like device setting. So yeah, so you'd be like Spartan Topo on ISS ADF5. And then you'd continue talking about what your problem was. But yeah, the only people who say Houston is astronauts. So I think that's how we should structure our podcast from now on. <laughs> Hannah Taylor on podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hannah Taylor on my Amazon $20 mic. Yes. <laughs> concur. Good words. Those are more more phrases. It's like concur, Confirm. affirmative, negative. Roger that. Copy. Ghostwriter. Anyone? No. <laughs> so anyways, my week mm-hmm. over in Seattle, ground zero over here for the coronavirus. Yeah. What is happening? Oh, gosh. So we're all still going to work. Like we're not working from home yet. I don't mm. know if it's going to escalate to there. But as of this recording, there's been nine people that have died oh. in the United States. And all nine of those people have been in the in Seattle area. Seattle. <laughs> oh, of course they have. And there's like articles being like the coronavirus has secretly been spreading throughout Seattle for weeks now like it's just gone undetected because it's also flu season and the coronavirus presents like a flu yeah and it's really only deadly for like those who have underlying health problems those who are older or children and so like if a normal person gets it it's just like a general sickness so and a lot of people still go to work because you have shit to do like you gotta go you gotta make that money exactly and so I mean, it's just, it's not like Seattle people are, how dare they spread the coronavirus? It's like, you didn't know. But yeah. anyways, shit's getting real. I actually, I read this whole article over the weekend specifically about someone in Seattle who thought they had the coronavirus and was trying to get tested for it. And the infrastructure right now for it is just like not there. They called the hotline. There's a hotline in Seattle. If you think yeah. of the coronavirus, it, all the lines completely blocked. She was on hold for hours. Then she called her doctor. The doctor said that she needed to go to the ER. The ER said that they wouldn't test her unless she got walking pneumonia or bronchitis. So like they don't have enough testing kits to test people for coronavirus. So they basically told her to like, you know, wait until you're basically dying, then come in. And then, so she called her primary doctor again. The doctor said, call the hotline. And it just was like this whole big circle where she was like, I work with the elderly. I don't think I should be going to work, but also I can't like get tested for this thing and I don't know what to do. So like it's, I don't know, man, it's getting real out there. Also, King County just like bought a hotel or something like that. Like they bought a hotel to to quarantine all these people. Yeah, to quarantine all these people. Oh my God. And can you also, if you get quarantined at the hospital or like in this hotel or something like that, 
you still have to pay for it. So if you have to stay at the hospital for two weeks because of quarantine, like you're going to get a hospital bill for a two week hospital stay. Bro, why would you even go? Like, I don't literally just this is encouraging people to not not tell anyone that they have the virus anyone and to literally spread the virus like this is oh last week was the conspiracy theory episode this is the like epidemic pandemic episode (laughs) we're all gonna die yeah but you know it's fine i'm still gonna go to the gym today you know everyone's just like wash your hands for 20 seconds no contact but Mm -hmm. like whatever no i I feel it whatever happens happens i could use a two-week break from work if i die i die that's kind (laughs) of Man. Oh, well, so the other thing is I'm going on vacation in oh, yeah, nine days. Hawaii. Exactly. So like, I mean, oh, airplanes. Yeah. well, <laughs> just in general airplanes. Yes. I will be flying on an airplane to Hawaii. <laughs> that's like, I don't know. That's like the whole thing with coronavirus is everyone's getting it from like traveling. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. That. So what if th- there's like a bunch of possibilities? What if Seattle like what if they do what they did in Wuhan where people aren't allowed in or out and I'm in Hawaii and I get stuck in Hawaii because I cannot go back home because it is under quarantine. Like nobody in, nobody out. Bring that also like one of just in case. Yeah. I know my coworker turned to me today and he was saying how there's like a post somewhere. It's on Reddit. So take this with a grain of salt, but I thought it was interesting. Um, Someone was doing the math or something. Math in quotations. I don't know how thorough this study was but it was basically like the spread of the coronavirus through wuhan compared to the spread of the coronavirus in seattle and right now it's like really paralleling that so Mm. like it's spreading very similar to the way it did in wuhan and basically if it continues along the same trajectory seattle will be quarantined in like two weeks (laughs) oh jesus i mean i was supposed to come to seattle in like two weeks oh Oh, crap wait your travel plans dude oh no i mean oh, it's fine no. you're fine just bring like hand sanitizer <laughs> there's no toilet paper here people are buying i don't know like what? is the coronavirus giving people diarrhea <laughs> no you literally have a cough i don't understand the mad dash to stock up on toilet paper like people are shitting their brains out right now they're just like so stressed it's uh, constantly wiping i'm so confused i need 35 rolls of toilet paper just to get through today <laughs> god no oh man dude that sucks what if i can't come anymore or what if i, I mean, like they, they'd, refund your, they'd refund your ticket but like uh, yeah, yeah i don't know it's I, who knows what's gonna happen it's dude, fine no We're that's fine. stressful <laughs> they they sent out an email three days ago about how they're trying to do like a nasa agency-wide so everywhere in nasa they're trying to do an agency-wide teleworking day to see if we can run everything from home if we have to which a is like apocalyptic levels of crap like you're gonna run the iss from your laptop at home like what the hell's happening outside zombie apocalypse but the thing is that the program that i'm in we're you know technically interns and interns aren't allowed to telework so also we make 14 dollars an hour um so you you have to go to work and get money because you're poor so basically (laughs) i'm gonna die I'm going to be the first one to die because I'm still going to be going to work. No, you're you're young. It's fine. You're fine. You're right. You're only going to die if you're like 60. And by that time, you could just retire and stay home anyways. True. Or Hopefully if you're I a child still be an intern and you're not 60, a child yeah. laborer. So you're fine. This is good. Yes. Yeah. This is true. Yeah. It's weird that it's all in Seattle right now. I don't understand. But at the same time, it's like, 
oh, my computer will restart in 55 seconds. No, <laughs> try it in an hour. You can try in an hour. <laughs> I've been like putting off updates for the last week oh, and a half. Yeah. Try like the last year and a half. My computer is such a piece of crap anyways. I know the second it gets a new update, it's just going to, oh man, it, it will never work again. It'll be like all the technology we tried to update at the wind tunnel where like it it was so old, it wasn't physically equipped to have Windows 7. Like <laughs> it was so bad. You know what I'm learning? Because I still work with wind tunnels now. Wind tunnels everywhere just don't work. They're just, like, yeah. They're they're really hard to operate. They're, like we put those systems under a lot of stress by running them for twelve hours a day. Like there's just yeah. and, and they're old infrastructure because it's really 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 expensive to build a wind tunnel. So you have to rely on technology that already exists. But then you're basically just wearing out that technology the more and more you use it. Yeah. Plus it's, shit happens. Like you. Yeah. You can have an issue where you wreck all 75 of your endangered wood fan blades at the same time. No. Like, yeah. then you got to be down for four months to replace them. And, you and know. you're not making any money while you're down for four yeah. months. So it's tricky, tricky business. Tricky business. Man. We got an interesting risk, perspective on wind tunnels. If you want to know about wind tunnels, come talk to we us. The dealio. Yeah. High risk, high reward, though, because I remember seeing those bills of what we charged customers to Ooh. be at like a, a university undergrad run wind tunnel. And <laughs> Man, a week at that wind tunnel could pay for like 10 years of college. <laughs> yeah, true. So let's talk about National Women's Day. Hell yeah. If you didn't know, Hannah and I are women. And National Women's Day is coming on March ow, 8th. Ow. <laughs> March 8th, go women. So yeah, in preparation, I looked up some fun facts about women in STEM and engineering. Um, the first one is that 65 women have flown in space, which when I was reading it, I was like, dang, that's so much. But there's actually been a lot of people in space and it's actually only 11% of all the people who have been in space. So <laughs> wait, day. really? That many people have been in space? Yeah. Like, I mean, if you think yeah. about like the shuttle program, they were launching people like three or four times a year, like eight to 10 people at a time. Like you'd have repeating astronauts, but I mean, still like it's, it's a lot. And we're and not then, the only country that was like putting people in space either. No. Yeah. Mm. And then, um, this one I thought was really interesting. This one, this one lit my injustice fire if ever I had one. So we all learned in AP U.S. history that Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin. That's like on the tip of your tongue. If someone says Eli Whitney, you're like, cotton gin. Actually, <laughs> his wife invented the cotton gin. She invented it as a convenience tool to use around the house. But because women couldn't get patents, her husband did it and her husband got all the credit. And now you're in AP U.S. history learning wrong facts. God damn. Honestly, like... I can't believe none of us questioned that in the first place. Like, how many... W when was the cotton gin invented? Like, the 1800s? You think I remember that much from AP? Well, I don't know. Eli Whitney, cotton gin. <laughs> like, like, I thought it was, like, at the tip of your tongue. You know? 18... Why is it... I'm going to go with 1823. I'm going to pretend that's it. It's probably okay. definitely not it. But, yeah. But, honestly, like, back in 1823, how many husbands do you think came home and said, Honey, how can I help you today? How can I take time away from work and invent something for you? No. Yeah. Honestly, though, if I'm being real, I have no freaking idea what a cotton gin is. So I don't know what it does. <laughs> I, oh, no, that's a loom. I don't know what a cotton gin is either. I think it's a thing that like winds it into like a fiber so that you can start to yeah. sew with it. Do you think it like takes the seeds out? 
this cotton? Yeah, 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 yeah. It totally does. It's like a, like a wheel thing that like Ooh. cleans the cotton and the wool and shit like that. I'm thinking of. I think um, you've seen it. I'm thinking of yeah. Sleeping Beauty, like the spindle thing that they have. Yeah. Also, all Microsoft employees have been told to work from home until the 25th. Holy shit, dude! You're gonna die. That, I'm never gonna. Twenty days from Seattle. now. That's twenty days from now. Holy crap. <laughs> Dude, yeah, we just talked to Bella the other day. She's going to be working from home. <laughs> working from home. <laughs> Shout out to Bella. Hope you're enjoying yeah. that work-life couch life. That, yeah, I don't... Oh, no. The, the, the I, work that, pandemic life balance. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Let me make a new episode. Uh, so, also, powerful women to talk mm-hmm. about. Marie Curie. I'm, I'm assuming that's how you say her name. Yeah. She was the first person... Not just the first woman, the first person to win two Nobel Prizes for science. Dude, that's Hell yeah, so awesome. sister. I remember my dad got me this book on Marie Curie when I was young, and I never read it. But I feel like I've that's been like a household <laughs> name for a long time. Like Marie Curie worked with radioactive stuff. She was a chemist, definitely died of radioactive issues, but made a lot of awesome advances which is super cool what an interesting way to die huh. i mean <laughs> i guess it's better than the coronavirus i mean honestly that's what's gonna happen to us too we inhaled so much carbon and like lead at the Ooh. wind tunnel but we're never gonna get recognized for our inventions invention. <laughs> i yeah dude we had those respirator masks for whenever we were sanding that carbon and they full-on just like didn't have the respirator part inside Wait. of them like did I, <laughs> did I never tell you one of the shop masters for the composite shop was like, these are more dangerous than not using a respirator. <laughs> and we bought new ones. Oh. That's what happens when you let a bunch of children build a rocket. God. No, I, I remember we'd be sanding that carbon. I'd be like, my mouth is so dry right now. <laughs> and it's just breathing it in and then oh god i took that mask off and i had these lines surrounding the mask leading all the way up into my eyes like it got under the glasses in my eyes i was like this is like (laughs) this is like a chernobyl situation right now this is doing nothing to help me yeah but speaking of other cool women so last week our episode was about computer science and i feel like we've talked about this before but a lot of people think of computer science as a man's job, but it actually started with women all the way down to the very first computer program, which was actually designed by a famous poet's daughter in 1843. So, I mean, obviously that was way before computers, but this is like widely known as the first computer program. Uh, her name was Ada Lovelace, and she was the daughter of Lord Byron. She actually published a paper in 1843 that predicted the development of computer software, artificial intelligence, and computer music. Basically, how it happened is that she had heard of this dude, Charles Babbage's, that's how you say it, I guess. Uh, she'd heard of his idea for a new like calculating engine, which was later called the analytical engine. And she suggested a plan to this dude about how to calculate Bernoulli's numbers with the analytical engine. Uh, And the plan is now regarded as the actual first computer program. Uh, And this dude and Ada worked together to create the first computer and then this first program. And now they actually have a whole coding language called Ada. It might be Ada. Ada. Um, And it's the official programming language of the United States military. And it was like named after her. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. 
little known facts. Woo. All the facts today. Well, uh, how about another fact for you leading into our topic today? In 1918, Edith Clark was the first woman to earn an electrical engineering degree from MIT, which Hell. go her just for that in yeah. general. But then she later became the first female professor of electrical engineering in the entire United States. Dang. That's Damn. insane. Killing it. Killing it. And with that said, let's turn over to electrical engineering. Woohoo! Yeah, so our next stop on our tour of disciplines in engineering, electrical engineering. So the description is that is the branch of engineering that deals with the technology of electricity. Electrical engineers work on a wide range of components, devices, and systems from tiny microchips to huge power station generators. I feel like electrical engineering is one of those things that like completely baffles me. Like I remember taking our first physics class. I always talk about this physics class because, yeah, it was a hard time. <laughs> Traumatizing. Teacher was trying to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like in your first physics class, it's like kinematics. It makes sense. It's like gravity goes down if you throw yeah, a it's ball. It's something that you can see it. Like it's very tangible. It. Yeah. Versus like, I mean, you interact with electricity every day, but it's freaking magic. Like you. You don't see like the protons and electrons moving. Like no. it's just real. It's a lot harder to yeah. like visualize. And it also doesn't make sense because you have like. Oh, you, you know you have like the resistors or stuff or you have like parallel versus series computing mm-hmm. things so it's like they act different whether there's one path or two paths but the same amount of things can go down two paths even though before it was only going down one path and you can tell i have like a kindergarten level of understanding <laughs> of what's happening here but yeah you can't see it like i just i don't get it well, I think that's just like some people are very visual learners and I'm definitely one of those people. Oh, me too. So like whenever people are talking to me, I'm just like, I- I'm going to need you to draw this in pictures. Yeah. Like Michael Scott says, explain it like you're talking yeah. to a third grader. That's what I need. So that's why I was never good at like programming or like anything electrical, anything circuit related. It's just, mm-hmm. it's very hard to conceptualize when it's not something that you like grew up like seeing like yeah you grow up seeing like a car go down a hill like roll down like a little toy car roll down a hill but you don't see that when it comes to electricity yeah like any any three-year-old child knows what happens when you bounce a ball on the ground like it's i mean yeah you've had it your whole life that yeah you just you don't see it you flip a switch and you're like good lights they work (laughs) moth lights (laughs) oh my god that's totally the theme of this episode moth Moth. memes send us all the moth memes we love it (laughs) yes this is like a foundation of hannah and i's friendship is those really dumb moth memes that are just so good i love them so much yes (laughs) oh my gosh yes electrical engineers made that happen yeah honestly yeah what a bunch of moths out there i love it but do we want to talk about some of the types of jobs you can have with electrical yeah definitely (laughs) we both just looked (laughs) at each other and pointed we were like you You start (laughs) no you you start you start okay okay. to say um so the first job is power engineering it actually deals with the generation transmission distribution and utilization of electric power and the electrical apparatuses that connect us to such systems i know so good at the words um but this is kind of like you know like your acdc current stuff like this is kind of um, I imagine what uh, Nicholas was talking about a couple episodes ago in our mechanical engineering episode when he was talking about 
you know, um, cataloging electrical conduits and stuff. Like, this is part of it's, you know, like, how do you get electricity to people to use? How yeah. do you create that electricity? Are you burning feces to create that electricity? Maybe. Maybe. Probably not. And so I think that's, like, this is an important area where, I mean, obviously it touches, like, every part of life. But this is also where you can get into that clean energy type work. And electrical engineers deal a lot with that, too. So, like, turbines, mm-hmm. hydroelectric dams, solar energy, all of these, like, power-generating things. This is how you can become involved with, like, the future of the world and the push for like a cleaner earth you know you can generate power without coal yeah without those big oil companies yeah yeah and then the next one is one that we're very familiar with control engineering i talk uh, almost daily about how much i disliked our controls class (laughs) but it is a very big part and i liked I've, I feel like I finally got a good definition of controls. After taking an entire semester of it, I now understand what it actually is. And here it is. It is the discipline that applies automatic control theory to design systems with desired behaviors in a controlled environment. The practice uses sensors and detectors to measure the output performance of the process being controlled. And these measurements are used to provide corrective feedback, helping to achieve the desired performance. And basically, it's systems designed to perform without requiring human input for the most part and without human input that's then called automatic control systems so kind of like cruise control or you know if you're like in an airplane you have your flaps doing your little things autopilot autopilot yeah yeah a lot of hot topics debated with control engineering and honestly like aside from boeing just like all technology companies now like we're generating these things to we're generating computers and teaching computers to control things mm-hmm. without like our input so if they do anything wrong like i, I don't know that, that that's the future of the world but there's a lot of controversy behind it because if there something is. goes wrong there's a lot of consequences as you can see yeah there's a ton that's kind of a big topic that we always talk about at nasa is like do you move more towards automation do you trust the computers more when there's yeah, lives who on you the trust line more? yeah humans or computers yeah and mm-hmm. it's hard because i mean the truth is that well, computers can't part, do everything. Yeah, they can they only do, do what everything. we teach them. Yeah. So they can't react on the fly. As where, like, a person, they would at least have the ability to, like, see what is happening around them yeah. and think of something new versus, like, a computer yeah. can only think about what it's been taught. Yeah, you have the creativity, but then at the same time, you also have human and error. mistakes. Computers yeah. are perfect. They will do perfectly what you tell them to do. They will follow mm-hmm. it to the letter versus people, you know you blink too fast or something and don't know you missed it exactly. I, don't, I don't know what example i'm referencing but i think that yeah. so this is like a really big field now though where it's like this balance between too much too little good and bad like it yeah. honestly it's just going to be an ongoing discussion for like the next 50 years i think oh i and then I eventually computers so. are just going to rule the world this is true and we will not trust them all the way there'll always be someone who's like mm, that's Back actually my day <laughs> they call it like human in the loop so like you need a person somewhere in there and that that helps you you know check things out make sure things are correct because yeah i mean humans created computers to some extent they have the human error aspect 
the computers do yeah because yeah. humans made it Oof. humans made it we're hitting deep deep stuff so the next one that we want to talk about is electronic engineering so this discipline uses non-linear and active electrical components like semiconductor devices transistors diodes integrated circuits all this to design electronic circuits devices vlsi devices and their systems this discipline typically also designs these passive electrical components usually based on printed circuit boards so when i think of this area of electrical engineering i'm thinking of like all the components that are in our computers right now and in our phones right now and there's big bucks there because the smaller you can make these electrical components it's like exponentially more money like yeah. that that's the whole thing and and the next one we were going to talk about is microelectronics yeah yeah i had a hard time kind of like it's like like you said like electronic engineering versus microelectronics like i think the only real difference is that the microelectronics focuses specifically on making it very small versus like electronic engineering. Like, I mean, maybe you're like helping create something that powers like an entire campus or something like, you know, mm, true. Something yeah. massive like that. Mm -hmm. Using those like, you know, giant soda can semiconductor type things that we had all over the wind tunnel that <laughs> terrifying to look at. And we're just those like tens of thousands of drawers of resistors that look like they were from the 40s. Remember that we were didn't ancient. know what they were, but we were tasked with like organizing <laughs> the entire electronics room. So we just like grouped them by these ones have the same colors. We'll put them together. We didn't even know what they were. We were like, these are squiggly things. Oh my god, what did I call them? Oh shit. What 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 is that like fossil, that ancient fossil? A Tyrannosaurus Rex, a trilobites, 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 trilobites. Yes. They look like little trilobites oh, for me. Like little trilobites, yeah. Man. And <laughs> we didn't even know they weren't. <laughs> no, <laughs> they were definitely op amps, but they look like trilobites. We didn't even know what they were called. So we just like we'd put them in an envelope and then we'd tape one to the front because we didn't know what to call. Them. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, this is what's in here. Whatever this yeah. is, if you're looking for it, it's in it's here. It's right here. <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? No one was looking for them because they are no, so outdated. They are so old. Like the things that were in those envelopes are now 50 times smaller. Like it was a massive resistor. Probably had, I'm going to use the wrong unit, like one ohm of resistance or some crazy thing. And it just was like this gigantic, massive thing that could not be like this teeny tiny little baby thing. I love that we went through all of that sorting. We spent almost a whole summer organizing that whole like section of the wind tunnel of mm -hmm. all this old stuff that we found not knowing what it was then we go to our basically our circuits class yeah. and we learn oh so i basically spent three months organizing trash based on color oh. all the green <laughs> trash is over here and all the brown trash is over there <laughs> like, is that not is that not exactly what our wind tunnel job was though <laughs> organizing <laughs> trash <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> gosh that's the, the that's the underside of engineering the you know? underside of engineering your oh man yeah man that was a journey that was a full journey <laughs> i just remember sitting there in class i'm like god damn it yeah <laughs> i spent so much time <laughs> so much time with this outdated technology dude but that was only one thing that we sorted that whole summer we also spent the other half of our summer sorting 50 tons of mixed and matched bolts just i know bolt size is like the back of my hand no i want to talk I, about bolts oh. i got some answers <laughs> i look at a bolt i'm like oh that's a that's a quarter 24 yep inch and a half right there 
Yeah, internet. Girth. Definitely. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Want to talk about threads? 20 or 24? Oh, yeah, tw- How you feeling today? Definitely 20. Yeah. Ah. That's a that's a metric size. You're gonna have to put that in the extra pile over there. With the, with the other things we have, we have understand. a pile called absolute garbage, America. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh, yes. so one final thing of electrical engineering. Mm-hmm. We're gonna reel it back in over here to yes. telecommunications engineering. So this is like a really diverse field of engineering connected to the electronics, civil, and systems engineering. Uh, they basically help find the cost of money for different types of computers and technological objects. So mm-hmm. ultimately, telecom engineers are responsible for providing this high-speed data transmission services. So they work with shitty-ass internet companies that charge you an arm and a leg, you know? Dude, remember when our apartment, we <laughs> were ch- we were being charged this much for internet, and Hannah, being the boss-ass person that she was, was like, mm, this is too much, I'm going to call them. And she calls them, and they're like, well, we can give you the exact same thing you're getting now for $20 less. I was like, dude, why aren't you doing that the first freaking time? Mm-hmm. They just- I, that's, that's what, you know, hot take. If you ever think that you're getting charged too much for like your phone bill or your internet or your cable, literally call the company and say, I'm getting charged too much. I'm going to leave if you don't help me yeah. out here. And then they're like, oh, well, I just happened to uncover this new promotion for you. It's like, goddamn right, you did, Karen. <laughs> Make my bill smaller. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just, man, I was so livid. I was like, you're telling me they just were like. For the last doing, year, yeah, for the they last just let us year. pay more. I mean, yeah. of course, from a business perspective, of course, that's they wouldn't tell you. Like, did you know you could be paying less <laughs> for the same goddamn thing? But yeah, very biased against shitty internet companies. Yeah. Telecommunications is a great field to work in, especially engineering. I just don't ever want to talk about it because it gets me heated. Riled up. But yeah. A telecommunications engineer, uh, they're responsible for designing, overseeing the installation of telecommunications equipment and facilities, such as complex electronic switch systems and other plain old telephone service facilities. And then like you have like the optical fiber cabling type of thing, like, you know, the stuff they have like under the ocean that sharks bite on all the time. I had they no idea. They do bite on those? Yeah. Apparently it's like a big thing. Sharks really like to eat fiber optic cables. Wow. Yeah. If you're- we, we have them in the oceans. That's oh, yeah, like yeah, so yeah. much cable. Yeah. <gasps> Which I mean, oh crazy, God. right? Like they have these big ships that like unreal this cable and it is a, it's a serious issue that sharks are really into eating this cable. Wait, because sharks sense things through electric electric signals. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think you're right. No, like one of the studies that they, I think it was like Mythbusters when I first heard about this, Mm -hmm. but they like tested shark deterrent stuff basically. And they found out that like sharks well, I think the deterrent was to have electric signals pulsing to deter mm-hmm. the sharks, but because they have like such sensors for those like electronic signals. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense that like there's some sort of shark fiber optic cable interaction because yeah. of those sensors that they have. Oh, man, I feel like it's a, it's another like bad shark movie, but it's like mecha shark, like like <laughs> mecha, like robot shark. It's like Iron electricity. Man shark. Yeah. He just builds his own iron suit <laughs> from the fiber the optic cables. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. But yeah. So another huge part of electrical engineering is something that we talked about last week. Last so week. computer engineering. Like we said, 
electrical engineering and computer engineering are so closely related. I mean, there's definitely specialties that can take you away from that. It's like a Venn diagram. They have a large part that overlaps and has very similar work mm. and research, but then there's also whole other aspects of each of these that make yeah. it a very individual thing. So I, I, you know, like we said, with all engineering, it's very interdisciplinary. This is true. And yeah, I mean, I feel like you probably, you're not like writing computer programs as an electrical engineer, but if you are a computer engineer, you sure as hell are doing electrical engineering stuff to build these computers and build these components. Mm -hmm. So there Mm -hmm. is, yeah, there is that huge overlap. And then there's also, you know, touching back on environmentally friendly electrical engineering, there's a lot of research that like, especially right now, that's going into electronic waste and like, how do you recycle old products? Because like technology advances so fast. Like every year there's a new iPhone, every year there's like a brand new thing hitting the market. And so like the moment that the product hits the market, it's like almost immediately obsolete. I mean, that happens in planes all the time because it takes basically eight years to develop a plane. But in order to start developing and building the plane, you have to make a decision basically a year or two in on what systems you have. So by the time the plane is actually ready to fly, like it has all the infrastructure, like the fuselage and the wing are built up. Mm -hmm. It's been four years since you decided on the software that would fit in there. So now, by the time the plane starts flying, your software is already six years old. And that's yeah. old in terms of technology oh, yeah. because it's advancing so fast. But because technology is advancing so fast and things are becoming obsolete so fast, it's like right now we're realizing, oh, shit, that iPhone 5 that's like indestructible is really indestructible. It's going to sit in a landfill forever. And obviously, that's a hot topic right now, being more environmentally friendly, more eco-friendly. Interesting. And so that's like recycle your phones now. Like that's a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So e-waste is like a really big field where there's a lot of research going on and like how to reuse these products or like turn them into something else because we don't want them just sitting around. Yeah. I think about that all the time. Like, you know how they say you're supposed to like dispose of batteries in a special way or something like that? And I've never once actually done that because I'm bad. You know what? Loki, I would... So there was always like this random cardboard box. Sorry to talk about the wind tunnel again. This is like... I would dispose them correctly at the wind tunnel. Not at home though. (laughs) No, I would bring my batteries from home to work because there was like some random cardboard box that said old batteries. And I was like, I feel like I should put them there. So I would carry... But honestly, honestly, I would forget a lot that I had the batteries with me. So a just sack for of weeks, batteries in your backpack. Yeah, for weeks, I just had like a sack of batteries because I would always forget to like take them out of my backpack and put them in the cardboard box that yeah. someone just randomly wrote. It's not like it was an official recycling place. No. Someone just decided that this old cardboard box is where we're going to put old batteries. And I remember yeah. having to move that once it was full. It was so heavy because someone did come up to pick the batteries actually Dang. one time. And we had to move the box to go deliver the batteries to this person, this like magical person, fairy, battery fairy that (laughs) came to pick them all up. And the the box was like 60 pounds. Where do you think the batteries go? Like I, wrong answers only. Like what? (laughs) There's like a, someone's building a house. The sharks. The sharks for their Iron Man suit. Yes. Maybe it's like. They got fiber optics batteries. Old dead batteries. Some shit's happening. Where do they go? Where do the batteries go? (laughs) 
DM us your ideas. We'd love to hear them. So some companies to work for as an electrical engineer. Um, Again, it's huge. Like if companies use electronics, they probably need an electrical engineer. Uh, So companies like Lockheed Martin, Texas Instruments, Intel, Boeing, Tesla. Tesla is a big one that I like didn't immediately think of, but thought was really cool because yeah, you're making electric cars. Like it's kind of along with those, that like clean energy type of thing where, you know, Mm -hmm. we're trying to move away from combustion stuff. Well, honestly, in like Tesla's, I think that they, they weren't the first company to do an electric car, but they were like kind of like the, the, they made electric cars sexy. Yes. Yes. And so, and now there's like tons of cars that are coming out like hybrid or all electric. I mean, like even my Subaru Crossdirect is now available in a hybrid. So basically all car companies can benefit from an electrical engineer. So there's lots of job opportunities out there. Uh, And on top of Tesla, you've got IBM, Google, Apple, General Electric. I mean, it's in the name. You got a job there, kid. General Electric, electrical engineering. Boom. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's, it's unending all the places that you can work hope for the future but kind of along those lines i feel like i remember being super shocked to learn that at the university of washington the biggest engineering discipline that we have like the largest one that took the most people was electrical engineering it was crazy because i felt like i didn't know a single electrical engineer was like not i was not really interested in it because i didn't really know what it was and again i feel like it's kind of like a silent underdog in a way yeah i mean but also it's like so important electrical engineering is one of the newest types of engineering probably just besides computer engineering but i mean electrical stuff is like the literal future like what what in the world is not going to run on electricity these days yeah. like yeah nobody's in the back with like you know their bicycle pedals pedaling to keep the lights on or something (laughs) yeah 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 so it does it gets a lot of flack and I feel like the idea you have of it is kind of like the idea of what I had when we were in our circuits class like resistor plugs in here a little breadboard I'm doing my soldering I have my little soldering glasses on Um, when a lot of times it's actually you know kind of more like badass it's very like Iron Man like you're creating things that are like high-tech technology right now like Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. well i mean the first person that invents a newer better battery is going to be a trillionaire like newer battery battery yeah so like part of the reason why like electric space propulsion and stuff like that or like electric propulsion or electric cars like this is how i understand it from a very high general level we've Mm -hmm. kind of hit a plateau with our ability to make things electric because we're right now we're limited by batteries Mm -hmm. so this kind of goes into like electrical engineering slash material science engineering so this is again where there's an overlap but once we figure out how to store the same amount of energy in a smaller package because like right now energy storage is kind of like I'm saying energy storage has plateaued. So once Mm -hmm. we find out how to store that same amount of energy on something smaller, lighter, that doesn't weigh as much like the future and the technology that's surrounding it, that's driven by this power is going to skyrocket. And I mean that in every punny way possible. Yeah, man, that's crazy. I didn't even think about that. In space propulsion a lot, like you're, you're trying to go away from like 
propellant type stuff because you can only take up so much like being able to have a battery that can be charged through like solar and power yeah solar powers and it's not like emitting things into the atmosphere like when you're burning fuels yeah but yet you're still getting the propulsion that you need i mean think about it even on like a daily basis everyone's like oh my phone doesn't hold battery and like phone companies Mm. and computer companies are like selling to you now this can hold longer battery life like it's lighter and now it lasts longer like it's such a huge thing even in our everyday life but it's like a silent thing that everyone knows is important but yeah i mean electrical engineers are like the future so maybe all of our old used batteries are going to make a super battery that's where they get recycled to is into better battery research yeah i hope so that would be crazy electrical engineers let us know i mean and we also we've got some interviews coming up for you guys so yes obviously we are not electrical engineers but we no have some electrical engineers to talk to you as always, we have an awesome interview lined up for you guys today. In our virtual studio, we have Kiana Hajireza. Kiana, you are currently working at Boeing. You are an avionics engineer, and right now you're doing a factory rotation to get some more experience within the company. Um, you got your master's degree in engineering, but you didn't get your bachelor's degree in engineering. Is that correct? Um, so I actually have a dual bachelor's. Um, so I don't have a master's actually. I have two separate uh, bachelors oh, that I awesome. that I received at two different times. Yeah, what were the two bachelors in? So the first time um, I pursued uh, biochemistry um, with the intent of possibly going into the health field. Mm-hmm. Um, later to discover that that wasn't like the best path for me, um, mm-hmm. and that I probably um, should have done a little bit more, uh, I guess, research into what I wanted to do. But yeah. I was fortunate enough to later go back to school and do my um, degree in electrical engineering. I feel like they, they do. When you're in college, you think so much about what you want to what to study that you kind of like, you get lost in like, what's the job actually like? And yeah, then, you get so path yeah. focused. Like I need to do this and I need to graduate and here's all the steps I need to take to get there. And sometimes it's hard to take a step back and like, do I actually like what I'm doing? But then I like on the contrary, I'd also say it's hard to differentiate. Do I just not like the homework assignments or do I not like this major? You know, True. that's hard. It's a hard balance. Right. Yeah. Right. But that is like a super big step from biochemistry to electrical engineering. So how did you like make that decision? Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, they're like polar opposites, but I mean, they're both still in the STEM field. Um, one's just applied sciences. The other is like, um, I guess like health sciences. So, um, overall I would say I've always had affinity for like chemistry, biology, mathematics, Um, and I guess I didn't really, at the time when I pursued biochem, you know, I think as females, we kind of get a little pigeonholed into like nurturing Mm. type of professions. And that's what we have said this. Yes. 100%. (laughs) So, and that's kind of why I was like, okay, I can go into the health field because I'll be helping people in that way, like in a very hands-on sort of way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I, you know, after I finished my degree, I took a year off and I um, was just kind of, you know, 
doing the things I wanted to do, traveling. And then I, I kind of came to a realization that, you know, I, I kind of don't know if like, that's really what I want to do. Um, not to mention like a lot of the, uh, I guess you could say graduate schools, like medical, dental, like they're all very, um, like you get a lot of loans after yeah. <laughs> you're in a lot of debt. Yeah. Uh, a lot of school ahead still, even after yeah. getting a bachelor's. Right. And I was thinking like, what's a way that I could contribute to the world in a faster way and a, and a little bit more economic way? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then that's when I was like, okay, you know, it's something that I had been avoiding because I'd always loved math. I always, I was a year ahead in high school. Um, and not to mention, um, my father was an electrical engineer as well. Oh, cool. Uh, so that was always kind of there, but I just never thought that, you know, like a female that I mm-hmm. would go into engineering. I just didn't really think that that would happen. I just didn't believe in myself. And mm-hmm. then I thought, you know what, why not? I see a lot of, you know, there's, um, there's a bit of a, disparity or like not enough women in it the Mm -hmm. percentage was low that we need to I wanted to help increase that and that actually interested me more than the field of health sciences where it's pretty much 50 50 Um, yeah yeah so uh, that's when I made the decision that I'm going to go back to school do the prerequisites and then I got into the engineering program and I did all of my schooling at the University of Washington Mm -hmm. um but but I went back for the engineering degree at the Bothell campus. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I feel like your your journey follows so much of what we've been talking about on this podcast. So, uh, you know, we totally agree about the need to spread the word that it's available. Like it is a path that women can do and there's no limitations. Like yeah. I I think that Absolutely. It's just like a hard thing to have that mindset when you just don't see that example out there. So hopefully the more we share our stories, the the more we can help influence younger women trying to consider what they're doing for the rest of their life. Absolutely. So compared to a lot of your bio studies and maybe some other engineering fields, how do you think electrical compares and what kind of research is happening over there? Um, based off of what I know, just from like general, um, kind of, you know, hear, hearing, uh, other people talk about their, their fields, you know, you got aerospace, which is, um, very focused on kind of, uh, uh, it's not as, um, I guess with, with electrical, it's very diverse. Like you're not, um, you can apply it to a lot of things. Not that you can't with aerospace, but like mm-hmm. in general, I wanted a degree that I could kind of like go into any um, industry. I guess, you can span um, a lot of industries. Correct. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I had kind of done a little bit of research and seeing like you, know, you can do power uh, systems like utilities, transformers. You could go into digital, so you could do more like consumer electronics, um, or you could go. You know, there's analog, there's digital, there's um, control systems, there's, um, microelectronics, there's so much you could do with it and you can kind of do a little bit of programming too. So Mm -hmm. you kind of are, yeah. So you're almost kind of like a little bit of everything with 
with electrical and again not to mention my dad that's kind of what he did and I really enjoyed hearing him talk about his day-to-day at work and um, just the way that he would at home just be really um, like a problem solver Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. um, fixing anything in the house like he had those skills and that's something that I kind of saw in myself so that's kind of probably why I went for electrical and um, as far as like research I mean just for my capstone projects like I would see some of the things you could also apply it to the health industry so that was kind Mm -hmm. of interesting to me because it kind of gave me a little bit of like oh well my previous degree wasn't a complete waste because I could you know combine them and work in the the health field too so it's really lovely actually you you see a lot of parallels with with um like some of the things I was learning in my circuit classes Mm. I would you know it was very similar to like chemistry with um the way that electrons are traveling through the wires you know it's like Mm -hmm. Le Chatelier's principle in chemistry (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. I think, yeah, a lot of our science and STEM work really parallels nature, right? I mean, we get inspired from something. So a lot of the work ends up following that. That's so true. Yes, I believe that. So you're working in uh, avionics right now. Can you tell a little, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing and maybe a little bit about your rotation program too and what you think of that? Absolutely. Um, So how I got into avionics probably really started kind of with my capstone project, which was in digital design. Um, it was mm-hmm. working with like field programmable gate arrays, which you can like program them to do anything. They can make a, a microprocessor, it can emulate um, various different things, any function that you really want. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of worked um, with a, with a small team of four to build like the processor that was used in the Atari. Um, So that was kind of fun. So I got to see like, okay, like we can remake the processor that was used in a video game, which I love video games. So that was really, that was really (laughs) cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then that translated to me getting a job uh, after college in a very small company that makes transponders used for drones and small aircrafts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so I was able to, like, use my FPGA knowledge to help, um, basically, we were making, um, again, like, uh, the the processor for the transponder. Um, so then I got to work in avionics that way. And then okay. that gave me the opportunity to work at Boeing, which is where I'm currently at in the avionics department, which um, deals with a lot of different systems. So it's really, mm. it's cool because I, I worked in a small little tiny, you know, area and then it just like expanded. Um, so it's, it's really cool to see where, you know, this degree can take you. I never would have imagined. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It sounds like you've gotten a good view of like small company versus large company too, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. And that was something that I also really was fortunate because it kind of, it's humbling to see like how different companies operate mm-hmm. and how much, you know, each company values like their products and then how that translates to the customer. And, you know, at the end of the day, everyone wants to deliver a good product, but you get to use your, your skills to help make that happen. And it's really, it's really awesome. Um, 
And then, um, sorry, I didn't answer your question about the rotation, which is oh, yeah. something I'm very excited about. Um, that I think is a great thing that Boeing is doing is to kind of give us a, a view, a perspective of what goes on on the actual, in the factory, in the production system, you know, as a design engineer in the avionics, like we're, we're so isolated, we're removed from what's going on on the floor. We don't even see the mm. plane, you know, we mm. don't know what's going on. But then this rotation gave us uh, a very close um, opportunity to work with the mechanics and, and identify problems and solve them on the spot. We use 3D printing to make shop aids on the spot. It's, it's very like instant gratification. Yeah. Um, which is awesome. So, and you're still using your engineering degree through problem solving, which is what it's all about. So how long are you like in the rotation for, I don't know how many positions or whatever you go to or yeah. Yeah, no, great question. It's a, it's a four month program that they um, have you go through and everyone's is different. You can either have two or three months in one place Mm -hmm. or every month will be a different place. Um, right now I'm, I'm in, uh, two months in the factory support collaboration center for, um, wings and empennage and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then I'm going to rotate on into fabrication and, um, and then move on to another place after that. Um, I actually really like this, um, opportunity so much that I decided to extend it another two months. Okay, so you're gonna do like all four in the same place, and that's awesome. If you find something that you like, that's like you know the whole point. So that's absolutely that's super cool. What resonates with you? Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a lot of it is you know iterative problem solving, and then you're bringing a bunch of engineers from different parts of the company. So it's beneficial for the engineers in the rotation program because they get to see a whole new side of the company, but it's also beneficial to the factory problems that you're solving because everyone's coming in with like a different diverse background so they can approach each problem differently and like come up with these crazy awesome solutions. Yeah, absolutely. It's really great to see everyone from different backgrounds come together um, and bring their own skill set. And that's the beauty of engineering is like we need someone from every field to kind of to bring their perspective and and that's how you make it the most well-rounded I guess delivery uh, results yeah and do you have any um like embarrassing or funny stories about some of your experiences in engineering oh man (laughs) maybe just like a unique experience too I guess I would say um I've been fortunate to not ever feel like I am not heard as a female, but Mm. I've definitely had times where I'm like, I am very outnumbered. Um, Mm -hmm. I like to personally like still be as feminine as I can be um, without Mm -hmm. feeling like I need to change yourself. Right. Blend in. Um, So that's something that I do. And it's some, it's funny because Sometimes I'll do, you know, nails. Um, I'll do some like interesting uh-huh. nails and some people will point it out and say like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> like, but I am proud of that. And yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's important to still uh, to, to bring your uniqueness and 
you know, not let it stop you. But um, I guess, I don't know, funny stories. Uh, I've had like a few years out of college now. And so again, like I had, um, I had an internship at this very like super small startup with about, I think like 10 people were in it. Mm. Oh, that's like super small. Yes, it was, I think it was like 10 people. Yeah. And, um, that was my first like experience with, um, with like the professional world because I had graduated and Mm -hmm. it was an internship but it was also kind of like like I think they just said it was an internship so that they could like get away with like paying us basically nothing yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) which was totally fine because I was just there to learn and experience um, right and I think it was just funny because you could just see like how a company just forms and um how much like it's you have to put in all this time and stay late for um to 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 like help the company grow you have to put in the time yeah. and um so i don't know we had just like a lot of like funny nights just like staying up and just putting things <laughs> together um delirious guess, working hours yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like we <laughs> We would go, like, one time we took a a trip to San Francisco, and that was a really good time. Um, That was... For work? Or just, like, everyone went, oh, okay. Yeah, it was the project that we were working on, and we, like, finally were implementing it in person. And, again, like, we were staying, like, super late, and we were just, like, um, I come across a lot of issues of, like, problem solving. And, um, but, like, again, it was, it was, it was just a good time, like those were the moments that at the time it seemed like frustrating. You're like, Oh, this is so hard. But then it just kind of makes you stronger um, for later. And now, you know, like working at a big company, it's, it's really, um, again, it was like a humbling experience to kind of like start so small and then go so large. Um, Mm -hmm. You see a lot of stuff. I don't know. I'm not giving a very clear example. No, I, I like that. I think it's funny what you said about the nails, So like, I have a similar story to that. And I think I didn't know how to react because I've never had anyone point that out. But I also like, it was kind of weird because I don't think that this person would have ever, if it was a male, like leading the meeting, I don't think he ever would have been like your nails, bro. Like, no, (laughs) they would have never said anything. So I just, I didn't know what to do. I was like, yeah, I guess they do match my mouse pad. I I don't know. (laughs) Like, I guess I like the color blue. (laughs) It was just super awkward. (laughs) Nails match my mouse pad. And that's funny. I miss that. Back when we worked at the wind tunnel, we were working with our hands so much that I like stopped painting my nails and I've never gotten back into it. And I, I miss it. I want to get, yeah, for sure. (laughs) <laughs> I'll match my nails to my mouse pad next. There you go. There you go. And make sure all of your leads know it so that they I can comment on it. And then you got to give me some feedback on what to say when that happens. <laughs> it was just like an awkward, like, yeah, blue I is guess cool. They do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, blue is a very common color, actually. Yeah, Thank you. Actually. <laughs> So Kiana, um, you mentioned that you didn't have, you haven't had a lot of challenges being a woman per se in the field. Um, but how do you think that we can support and build women? I think you mentioned you've had some volunteering experience, right? Right. Yes. Um, yeah. So 
I mean, of course, you know, there's times I do feel like maybe I'm not taken seriously, but, um, but, you know, I just try to, um, I just don't like to let that like stop me. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think it's important for women to know, like, just keep doing you and there's always going to be, you know, pushback from any gender, but like, it just happens that we work in a male dominant, you know, arena. So it's going to seem like a little bit stronger from the male side, but Mm-hmm. You know, I I was, um I had like a kind of like a informational interview with one of the, like, a, I don't remember her title exactly. She was like a chief project engineer. um Very. Oh, okay. Yeah. And she was mm-hmm. like very insightful. Like I could tell like she could command a room. And I just wanted to ask her, like, what do you, have you ever experienced anything? And she said, yeah, of course, you know, like sometimes I know that I, I know the answer because I, like, I just, you know, I trust myself. And, um, as much as like another person or man says the opposite, you just can't like, you can, (laughs) you can politely say, okay, yeah, that's your opinion, but then you can still continue to go about, you know, your direction and, and get the results that you were, you know, expecting to get. I was like, okay, cool continuing with what I was saying <laughs> and exactly <laughs> yeah so just don't let it slow you down um and always just keep believing in yourself like as che- as cheesy as it is like really like that helped me get through school because like that was you know round two of going back to school it's like it's a lot and like you gotta you gotta take hard math classes mm-hmm. um majority of your classes are are men as you get more specific into your into your classes like you you notice the females like dwindling like it's just yeah it's just it is what it is but as the years went on like I, I, like as I did the program like each year I did notice that the younger like the classes before me were like the the females were increasing so I'm I was happy to see that um and I think it's really important that we do outreach mm-hmm. to the youth and um that was something that I did when I was in college um, at the University of Washington Bothell, they hold this day called like STEM day, but it was geared towards young girls in like middle school um, and kind of like elementary school. Mm-hmm. Oh, and cool. we had a bunch of different activities going on. Like we had lectures, we had a female astronaut come and speak about her experience in space, which all the girls loved. Um, I think that's always you know, for me, like growing up Sally Ride, like I was like, oh, yeah. that's so cool, you know? Yeah. And I just, yeah. So I was like, how do I, you know, get into that realm? And that was, that was one of my inspirations. But yeah, so reaching out um, to young girls. And um, there was one time when I was at the smaller company I was working at, I was living in this like small city down in Southern Washington, like in the Columbia Gorge. Mm-hmm. which is like super, mm-hmm. you know, the population is small. So you can imagine education is going to be different than the more populated cities. So yeah. it's even harder for females in that area to know about engineering yeah. and science. So luckily mm-hmm. there was a um, organization called the Gorge Women of T- in Technology or something like that. <laughs> uh, and uh they did introduce a girl to STEM day, which 
was awesome. Um, so I was a part of that and I helped teach girls how to build like paper speakers, um, using like magnets. Yeah. And like paper plates. So, and I could see, you know, the spark, like these young girls were super interested. Um, so I was happy to help and I want to continue to do that because I think that's the only way that we're going to be able to, um, you know, increase that in the future. Yeah. That's so cool. Paper speakers. And our, we always talk about how our circuits class, Hannah and I were lab partners for it. And, um, it was very difficult for us. It didn't go so well. <laughs> we lit some things on fire, but it was okay. <laughs> yeah, so the the paper That's speakers okay. thing that would I, that would baffle me. I'd be like, oh my god, I can be an engineer, even though I already am an engineer. Now. <laughs> I think that's so true though. Like, I think when, especially when you ask a lot of female engineers, like, how did you get into engineering? You know, like what spurred you to make that decision? It's a lot of, oh, I had someone who was an influence on me. So Mm -hmm. I think now in the position of a female engineer, it's our duty to be that mentor for the next generation so that we can even further increase and like make it not an anomaly for a female to be in like an engineering company or leading a meeting about some avionics project, you know, like it, I want to make it so commonplace that it's like something that we don't even have to comment on in the yeah. future, you know? Uh, yeah. But yeah. Totally. And, and I think especially what you said about like the more rural or sub like suburbs. I mean, it's easy to see in Seattle, all that outreach stuff, because yeah, like you mentioned, UW Bothell has like a women in STEM day. And then the university of Washington in Seattle has the big engineering discovery days, although it's not female focused, which I think it should be. Um, Mm. but Mm. there's a lot of like outreach stuff because all of the big tech companies are there. So it's easy for them to just go out in their community, but you know, a lot of times where that influence is needed, there aren't tech companies already present. Like there's just not an industry for it in those suburban areas. And I think that that's what this podcast is also trying to get out. And that I want to also be a voice for is those girls in different parts of the country that just don't know about it. So spreading the word and being that empower. So I like what you said a lot. Thanks for sharing that. Of course. Yeah. Thank. I'm, I'm really glad that you guys are doing this because this is important and this is definitely a good um, avenue for young girls to, to learn. And then Kiana, I do, I want to ask if you have any uh, parting advice for young engineers thinking about getting into EE, maybe especially also people who are thinking about changing majors. Cause that's, that's like a huge life decision that, you know, takes a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the things that were nice when I was doing my, uh, biochem degree was that a lot of the classes kind of um, align with the engineering classes like you mm-hmm. need you know your basic um, prereqs like chem um, chemistry and then you need like uh, calculus I think for some of them physics mm-hmm. but the thing is with the with the health sciences you have to take algebraic physics so you want to take calculus based physics so um, yeah. that's something to keep in mind. Um, and then just don't be intimidated, I guess, like use your resources for me. You know, it didn't come easily. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I was able to, you know, like people in your class, like get to know them, um, ask, it's okay to ask for help. You know, they're there to learn too. And when you help each other out, it's like the best thing, you know, you yeah. really learn 
the best way. And I, I'm so thankful for my cohort because we all worked together and we would study and it was fun. You know, you just make it more fun. So -hmm. don't ever look at anything as too challenging. Find a new way to like make it so that it's more manageable. Um, Yeah. yeah, because you're always going to get in your head. So Mm -hmm. just don't think of it like that. Just think, you know what? The end is worth it. I have this goal and um, I'm going to have fun doing it along the way. So yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, don't be discouraged. And if you have tutoring centers in your university, go use those. Um, They're there for a reason. And Mm -hmm. I definitely did. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Oh yeah. Use your professor's, you know, office hours. So just do whatever you need to do. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. like, that was the only, that was like, the way that I got through everything. That's really good advice. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. But I wanted to say thank you again so much for joining us today and sharing your story and all the advice that you have. We'll talk again soon and we'll have you featured on our page so we can have girls reach out if they have any questions. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You guys are awesome. Thank (laughs) you. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to The Blonde Blueprint. Just to plug all of our stuff again, we are on Instagram. We are on Twitter, at Blonde Blueprint. We are on Facebook now. We have a website, blondeblueprint.com. We have a Gmail that is blondeblueprintpodcast at gmail.com. So please visit those things, follow it, and let us know what you think. Yes. All righty. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. I'm going to make just like a loop of all the times we've said incorrect words this episode. <laughs> For an invor- uh So this dip... Winternal... Winternals. Really parally. Technological. <laughs> technological. Technical. Jesus Christ. I mean, technology. Oh my God. That word was so hard to say. Words are so hard today.